0: How is everyone doing tonight? Good. Our second Wednesday night of the year, 2018, being ushered in okay by everyone. A year of new beginnings. Well, it is my privilege to open up the word with you guys. I love this passage that we're about to go through, John chapter 10. I know it's precious in many of our lives. So grateful to Jesus for sharing this with his disciples and giving this to the leadership of Israel and that it was recorded and that we get to see Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. Not just describing himself as a good shepherd, but actually being a good shepherd, amen? not just words, what we're going to meditate on tonight. It's reality. Jesus is a very good leader. He doesn't lead always like we expect, but we can trust his goodness in his leadership. He has eternity in mind for us. He has our best in mind forever. And he wants to continue to be our leader forever. We don't graduate from Jesus being our good shepherd. We don't, like, graduate good shepherding school, and now we get to be the shepherds of our own. We become more dependent on his good leadership as a good shepherd. That's what I found in my life. I was just reflecting today in particular on his leadership in my life, his voice in my life, his voice in my wife's life, his voice in our family. And... I was at my desk. Now, I have an odd desk back there, okay? I have a walking desk, okay? So I stand up when I'm doing my sermons, and I am typing, but I have a treadmill, and I'm walking the whole time. So when I prepare a sermon, that's normally like 30,000 step days, (laughs) because I'm on my feet all day. So anyway, just to share the context... I'm walking (laughs) at my walking desk. And I have to stop walking because I'm just crying. I can't see anymore. And I'm like, I don't want to fall and, like, split my head open before Wednesday night, you know. But I'm just weeping at the Lord's leadership in my life. There is something precious when you take time and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you on how he's led you to today. There is something of the remembrance of the goodness of God in our lives that causes us to worship and causes our hearts to be tender before Him for the next season. Because He just wants to keep doing it. He wants to speak again and again and again and again. And He wants us to have open ears to hear what He's saying. And sometimes we get a little distracted, right, from His voice. You guys, anything like me, sometimes the busyness of life can creep in. Sometimes the finances can get you to take your eyes or your ears off of hearing the voice of the shepherds. Sometimes the teenagers can. Anyone in here? Amen. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. One brother's with me. And we have to stop, and we have to pause, and we have to say, Jesus, speak to me. And you know what? He wants to speak. He has declared himself to be the shepherd and the sheep hear his voice. So I'm excited about the 28 minutes that we get to talk about this. And I'm excited for you guys to break up in groups and discuss the Lord's leadership in your life and to give testimony and to pray for one another in how you need the Lord's leadership and you need to hear his voice. It's helpful when you're in a community that is longing to hear and that is standing with you to hear the Lord's voice. Amen? Because we are all his flock and the sheep of his pasture. And we all are in the same spot. And we need camaraderie and prayer and support from the church. So John chapter 10 comes right after John chapter 9. That's astounding, right? Um, But something's happening in John chapter 9. And we're experiencing bad shepherds in John chapter 9. The man Jesus has just healed. He puts mud in his eyes. He's blind from birth. He's lived under this thought that he was born in sin. Therefore, he's blind. And Jesus comes as the true light of the world. And he opens the man's eyes to declare He is the one who can open the eyes of the spiritually blind as well and cause them to see the light of the world. I love Isaiah chapter 42. Jesus declares himself to be a covenant to his people. He's the one who's going to lead his people into the new covenant to where they can actually keep the covenants that the Lord has told Israel to keep. They'll never be able to do it without Jesus's leadership. They'll never be able to do it without a changed heart. And the Lord says, I'm going to bring that for my people when I return. He says, I'm going to be a covenant to my people and I'm going to be a light to the Gentiles. So Jesus opens the man's eyes. Jesus goes away. There's an uproar in Jerusalem. The man gets brought before the Sanhedrin and they just start berating him and, 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 and accusing him and tearing him down and asking him, well, how do he heal you? how do he you heal you? In unbelief call in his parents. His parents are afraid. It's a leadership system that is based on fear. They say anyone who acknowledges Christ, Jesus's leadership will be excommunicated from the temple. They don't agree that he's the Messiah. The man's a little snarky. He's like, why do you keep asking me these questions? Do you too want to become his disciples? (laughs) Kind of like that in that man. And, and they just, you're born in sin and they kick him out. At the temple, and he finds Jesus, or Jesus finds him. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Christ? Do you believe in the Messiah? He says, who is he, Lord? And I'll believe. Jesus says, I am he. He says, and it says he worships Jesus right there. He acknowledges Jesus's divine authority and his Davidic place as king in Jerusalem, and he worships him. And then Jesus says, I have come that the blind might see. And then those who say they can see but don't put their dependence in me for that spiritual sight, they will become blind. And it says, a few Pharisees overhear him at the very end of John 9 and they say, oh, are we blind too? And they know that they're, Jesus is talking about them. And he says, you would not be, but since you say you can see, And the idea is that they don't come to him for sight. He says, you're blind. And then he goes right in to John chapter 10. So he's still in that kind of place where he's speaking to this man. He's speaking to these Pharisees. And he goes right into, I am. Or he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Verse 2 he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3 of chapter 10. To him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So we have this contrast of this bad shepherding going on here and Jesus is going to describe himself as the true shepherd. Now the backdrop there's many passages in the Old Testament that describe the the leadership of Israel as shepherds. But there's a prophecy in Ezekiel 34 where Ezekiel, is, he is talking about the bad leadership of his day. And he's talking to the leadership that just got overran by Babylon. The Lord said, I have to punish you for your waywardness. And in a foreign land, you're going to return to me in your heart and then I'll bring you back into the land. And Ezekiel's talking about these leaders Who the Lord has punished, and they were the irresponsible shepherds. And Ezekiel 34, he says that they're using the sheep to clothe themselves. They're killing the sheep for their clothing. They're killing the sheep for their food. They're killing the sheep for their wealth, and they're not tending the sheep. And then Ezekiel prophesies, but one is coming who will be, and it doesn't say a good shepherd, but will be the shepherd of Israel. And it says, and he will tend the flock, and he will lead them to pasture, and they will know, his voice. And over Israel, there will, be one, there will be one shepherd over one flock. And so the fact that Jesus is calling himself the shepherd is he's identifying himself with that messianic hope that Israel was longing for of a true good shepherd. And I actually think it's amazing. In Numbers 27, when Moses is transferring his leadership to Joshua... Moses asks the Lord to raise up for Israel one who will go before them and will lead them and will bring them in and out. And the idea was a shepherd going before a flock, bringing them in and out of pasture. He says, lest they are sheep without a shepherd. And the very next phrase in Numbers 27 is set apart Joshua. Now, Joshua is Jesus's name. Jesus is the Greek. But in the Hebrew, they're both Yeshua. And so Moses praying for a leader in Israel and the Lord says, give him Yeshua. And Joshua was that that type of messianic figure in the Old Testament, but Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment. He was the one who was gonna shepherd Israel and they weren't gonna be a sheep without a shepherd any longer. Remember Matthew 9? When Matthew's describing Jesus having compassion on the people and he said he was moved with compassion as he was preaching in their synagogues as he was healing the sick as he was ministering the kingdom of God and it says he was moved with compassion because the people were sheep without a shepherd and he was the good shepherd in their midst so let's go to verse number three of John 10 That's a little bit of the historical background. Jesus says, in verse 3, he's just said that the thief and the robbers don't enter by the gate. But in verse 3, to him, the gatekeeper opens. I'm sorry, verse 2, verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. It says, to him, the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So let's just take a moment, and let's talk about the voice of a shepherd. Now, in Jesus' day, at the end of the day, when the shepherds were bringing the sheep in from the field, normally in the villages and in the towns, there was a communal sheep gate, sheep or, or, or a place where they would hold the sheep. And many shepherds would put their sheep all together. It was also for protection so that there could be one gatekeeper and they wouldn't have their flock stolen. And in the morning after the sheep had slept, the different shepherds would come to the entrance of the gate and they would do unique calls for their sheep. And only those sheep who knew the voice of that certain shepherd would come out of the gate. And Jesus says, I am that shepherd who the gatekeeper opens for. I have authority. I have the right to those sheep. And I call them and they come to me. And a sheep wouldn't listen to the voice of another shepherd. Even if the call was the same, they would recognize the timber of the voice. And so that would be in Jesus' listener's mind, they would have that imagery of sheep responding to one shepherd. He says, I am the shepherd. The sheep hear his voice. And he says, and he calls them, he calls his own by name, and he leads them out. Now, my only reference point in my mind for shepherding was the movie Babe. You guys remember the movie Babe? Like, when I was thinking about this, I'm like, what is in my mind when I think of shepherds and sheep and, and just babe Catholic like replaying in my head? Anyway, so, but we're kind of used to in, in, like, shepherds in England, shepherds in Australia, and those movie pictures that we see of shepherds, we're kind of used to shepherds driving their sheep with a staff, or with, or with something like that, and then a sheepdog rounding the sheep and keeping them together, and the sheepdog would put fear, and they wouldn't, they would, they would stay together because they were afraid of the sheepdog, and the shepherd would come from behind and drive the sheep places. But in the Middle East at this time, shepherds didn't lead like that. Since the sheep knew their voice, and they had trained the sheep to know their voice, they would go before the sheep, and the sheep would follow the voice. And this is Jesus saying, I'm the head, I'm going before you, and the way you're going to stay following me is you're going to know my voice. And I just thought, I was just thinking of different times in Scripture, the different memorial pillars where where our hearers of Scripture heard the voice of the Lord. I was thinking of Paul's life. And... The different times it describes in the book of Acts where Jesus communicates to Paul. And I say, these are Paul's like memorial moments. Now, I believe that Paul was constant in the scriptures, constant in prayer, constant in listening, but we see some of the bigger times where the Lord breaks in and either shifts him directionally, shifts him in his ministry, shifts him in his location. I was thinking of Acts chapter 9. Of course, Paul's on the road to Damascus. He experiences Jesus falls off his horse, and he hears for the first time, why are you kicking against the goats? I am Jesus. And Paul calls Jesus Lord. And Jesus calls Paul to preach to the Gentiles. And I was thinking of Paul's in Acts 13. It's been about 14, 15 years later after this Damascus experience, and he's at Antioch, and he's with the five, and the five leaders are in there in worship and they're in prayer, and the Holy Spirit breaks in and says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. And that sends Paul on his missionary journeys. I think of the time in Acts 16, when Paul is trying to enter Asia and preach the gospel, and it said the Spirit would not allow Paul and Barnabas, to, or Paul and Silas, to go there. And there, you can kind of you get this sense that it's this wandering time and they're searching for the direction of the Lord and then Paul has the vision of the man from Macedonia asking him to come to Macedonia and preach the gospel. And Paul is shifted to Philippi. I think of Acts 18 when Paul's in Corinth and Paul's been persecuted many times now. He's been beaten many times. And he hears the voice of Jesus and he encounters the Lord in Corinth. And the Lord says, stay in Corinth, for I have many people in this city. And he says, and no one's going to hurt you in this city. And if you study what happened in Corinth, Paul is actually taken before a judge called Gaius. And he is taken before by, uh, by the Jews. And this Roman judge rules in Paul's favor at this court hearing. And historically, because of that ruling, Paul would have had protection in that Asian region region of the Roman province to preach the gospel without persecution. And that's why we see no physical harm come to Paul in Ephesus for years, and he's able to preach the word of the Lord in Ephesus. And it says, from that place, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So in Acts 16, he's not permitted to go to Asia. It wasn't time yet. But in Acts 18, he's like, the Lord says, now it's time, and I want all of Asia To hear my voice, and I want you to stay in Corinth because I'm going to orchestrate something to do that. You see, Paul in Acts 23 when he's arrested in Jerusalem and he hears the Lord's voice. It actually says, The Lord appears to him and says, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness of me in Rome. And this word sustained Paul through years of prison under Felix and Festus, and he knew, I'm going to Rome, because I'm going to preach the gospel in Rome. And I think in Paul's mind, he was getting ready to preach the gospel to Caesar, because he appealed to Caesar. And he wanted to stand in front of Caesar and say, there's a new king in town, and <laughs> his name's Jesus. Jesus. Oh. And I was thinking about in my own life, examples of when I've heard the the Lord's voice in what I would call memorial moments or pillar moments, very transitional moments in my life. 12 years old, I began to feel the Lord calling me to ministry. 15 years old, there there was a particular season that I felt the Lord asking me to lay down sports and to pursue worship leading. Now, I used to be a very good basketball player. No one knows that here, okay? But you just have to believe that, all right? I just went back to Kansas City, and one of my high school teachers, I didn't grow up in Kansas City, but he moved from Amarillo to Kansas City, and he's a part of IHOP, he's a part of the ministry, and he's the only guy that remembers my glory days of basketball. (laughs) He's the only guy that goes, oh, guys, you should have seen Marcus play basketball, and then when he laid it down, we were all so sad, and I'm like, Pastor Phil, you just keep talking because I love you. (laughs) Anyway, but I remember the Lord transitioning me and I had parents who were helping to identify the call of God in my life. And yes, we agree with this decision. Begin to pursue music more intentionally because there's a worship leading calling that, w- that I begin to feel over my life. I remember at 16 when I heard a minister speak on intimacy with God in night and day prayer. And I felt the fire of the Holy Spirit going up and down me. And I felt like a wind of the Holy Spirit around me. I can't describe it. A, it's a weird feeling, but that's what I was feeling. And I was just weeping at the sermon. I responded to an altar call to give my life to 24-7 prayer, night and day prayer, when there was no context to give someone's life to that. I help wasn't started. Nothing was going on like that. But I was hearing the Lord's voice. I remember at 18 when I was transitioning, and I was going, I was graduating high school, and the Lord said, don't go to music school, but learn how to pray, learn how to fast, and learn how to decipher my word. And that led me to IHOP, and the seasons there at IHOP, ministering. I remember at 27, after the Lord blessed a certain part of my ministry uh, at IHOP, and the Lord began to speak to me to lay my conference platform ministry that He had given me down and to transition my life, to prepare myself to teach and to pastor and to raise up the next generation. I remember I was sitting at a class, I was taking a class on the book of Isaiah and it was weeks and weeks into the class and we were at Isaiah chapter 53 and we were studying Jesus going to the cross. And I remember in this sermon, or in this teaching, or in this lesson, the Lord came to me. He came to me a very similar way he came when I was 16 years old, and I felt the fire of the Lord moving on the inside, and I I felt the presence of the Lord around me. And the Lord said, lay down your ministry, give it to this certain person that I was co-leading with, He says, because I have a new season that I want to prepare you for. And I remember in this moment, and I'm feeling that in the class, three things came up uh, in my spirit or in my mind of ways to ask for confirmation. Just three ideas. And I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me, pray these three things. And I actually said to the Lord, no, 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 Lord, I don't need confirmation. I'll, I'll do this. I'll just, I'll just, I'll do this without confirmation. You don't need to do that. And I felt this kind of like rebuke from the Lord, like, young man, what I'm bringing you into, you need confirmation for this next season. And so I prayed the three things that I felt in my spirit. I prayed, one, that my wife would be okay with it, because some of our finances had been wrapped around this ministry that, that grew around us, and, and it was going to be a, a financial hit for us. I just knew it. And if my wife wasn't okay with this, with our four young children, and <laughs> our mortgage, and our da 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 it would be a bad decision to make, right? You guys agree with me? And I remember, I prayed this prayer. It was the weirdest prayer. I said, Lord, let this idea come out of, and I I named a certain friend of mine's mouth. I said, let it come out of Matt Candler's mouth, who's a good friend of mine in Kansas City. Let this idea come out of his mouth about laying down my ministry and let it be unprovoked. I'm not gonna mention anything about it. And the third thing I prayed for was a dream. And in one week, all three happened. One, I came home and I was like, Lord, I I mean, Lord. Sometimes I call her Lord in our house. It's like, Rachel. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I, f- I feel the Lord speaking to me about, about laying down this ministry. Now, my wife is full of faith. And she's like, the Lord's speaking. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> she's like, we don't need that confirmation. Let's go for it. I was like, no, no, no. Actually, the Lord asked me to, to pray these things. Okay. So a week later, I'm sitting down with my friend, Matt Candler. And he goes, Marcus, I've just had this thought for a week. I think the Lord's doing something with you. And I think he's transitioning you out of this, of this uh, conference platform worship leading ministry, because he's gonna raise you up as a shepherd and as a pastor. And I'm just like, did you just say that, you know? And then that night that Matt spoke those words, I had a dream. And I was laying, of course I was laying in bed while I was dreaming, but in the dream, I was laying on these railroad tracks, and I was tied up, okay? Now if you're tied up on railroad tracks, what do you try to do? Try to get off the railroad tracks, right? But I couldn't. I couldn't move. I was actually standing up on the railroad tracks, but I couldn't move, and I saw this train coming at full speed. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get off of this track, and I couldn't do it. And I was like, oh, this is going to hurt so bad and right before the train hit me, it backed up and it flew off the track. How how many of you have ever seen Back to the Future 3? You know the very end of that movie where the train like flies? That's what happened in the dream, okay? And so the train goes off the tracks and it it goes in the air and then it turns and in big purple letters is written the word meekness. I just saw it coming as block letters, but when it turned in big purple letters, was written written the word meekness. What's funny, because of Isaiah 53, it's all about the meekness of the Lord and him laying down his life to bring others up. And so I had to squint. I I read, in my dream, I remember reading it, meekness. And right when I said it as a question, the train like, poof, (laughs) it it went from like being far away to close and the word meekness hit me. And I woke up out of the dream, this is the weirdest thing, I woke up out of the dream, and I was already singing a song. It was the weirdest thing. And the words were, I want to walk the way you walk, the way of meekness. This is reality that you delight in the going low. This is my hope within that you delight in the letting go. And I'm a songwriter, but I was not writing this song. It was kind of being sung through me by the Holy Spirit. Strangest experience of my life. But I knew, okay, the Lord's speaking to me. And I need to lay this thing down, and I need to prepare myself for another season of ministry. I remember when the Lord began to speak to my wife and I after this about adoption. Rachel was, I, I, we had had four children at the time. They were six, five, three, and two. You don't think of adopting when your children are six, five, three, and two, okay? But what, but my wife, the Lord, was speaking this to her. It is time for us to adopt. Now, we knew from the very beginning of our marriage, we had been married about uh, just uh, a few months, and we had taken a missions trip to South Africa, and we had, uh, we had worked in some of the townships there, uh, ministering in, not working, but we were ministering, and there was a certain orphanage that we visited, and we were doing music ministry and worship and ministering there. And the Lord had put a seed in our heart for adoption back when we had first gotten married. Um, So six years go by, and we had always prayed into that, Lord, when's the timing, when's the timing? Well, the Lord was speaking to Rachel, the timing is now. Now, being the man of faith I am, I was like, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) And I had agreed with a friend of mine to go lead worship at a conference months ago, months ago. And this is but the conference was getting close, and the Lord was speaking this to Rachel, and she's submitting it to me, and, I, and we're trying. I'm like, I don't know, honey. And so I call my friend and just wanted to get information about the conference. What's the theme of it? How should I start preparing my heart? How should I start praying for it? And he goes, oh, the theme of the conference is Spirit of Adoption Conference. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This is such a setup. I was like, did you talk to my wife? Did she tell you to name this conference Spirit of Adoption Conference? Anyway find myself at the conference, and it was at this conference that the Lord is speaking to me, not just to my wife, but now to me, it's time for you to step out and to adopt. And so we did, we step out, and I'm just kind of giving you some of these memorial things of the voice of the Lord in my life. Then we step out to adopt, again, we have six, we have a six-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old, and they all kind of like have a birthday around the same time, (laughs) so... It's very hard to remember the age of my children, like at one point in the year, but then half a year, like I get it, you know? And so we're just thinking, well, that's two-year-old and under. That seems the right age for us to adopt. And one of the agencies that, uh, well, the agency we were working with, one of the orphanages that they work with in Ethiopia, had these two older twin girls come into one of their orphanages. They were around eight, uh, nine years old. And... Rachel gets this email, and right away, she, the Holy Spirit, bears witness. These are our daughters. But it's going to change some things because, one, they're older. Two, we had to do, like, some new stuff to prepare for that with the government. Uh, but she submits it to me. She says, honey, I, I got this email. I think these older girls are who we're supposed to bring in. I think the Lord's shifting in us from a younger adoption to an older adoption. And again, I just, I didn't know if I was on board with that. And she says, well, honey, why don't you pray about it? Now, I'm a leader in a prayer ministry in Kansas City, okay? That's a hard request to like, and so I'm like, I kind of, I, I kind of like roll my eyes in my heart, you know, I'm like, I'll pray about it, you know, like, how many of you have ever done that? Wife well, said pray about this, and you're like, I don't want to, but I will, No. And so I begin to pray about it. She says, do you want to read... The, the description of these girls, and I, and I just had this thing, I was like, I actually don't. I'm going to take this before the Lord, before I read this description. And I'm sitting in the service uh, a few days later, and it's a worship service, and I'm worshiping the Lord. I'm just talking to him about this. Lord, what do you want us to do with these girls? Are these our daughters? And as I have my eyes closed, I have Three pictures in my mind's eye of two uh, African girls in different stages in their life. And I felt in my heart if one of these pictures looks like the picture that Rachel has seen on the email, I'll know this is you, Lord. Now, I don't think you have to have this type of confirmation to adopt or do foster care or anything like that, so don't put this on you, okay? This is just our journey. And and But immediately, as these pictures are going through my mind, my heart gets tender, and I'm just crying before the Lord, saying, Lord, I will do this. I'll bring in these older girls into our home. And so, it was that day, I went home after that service, I said, Rachel, I'd like to read the email. I saw the email, and the first picture I saw in my mind's eye was the picture that was on the email. And I said, Lord, you're speaking to us to bring these girls into our home. These are the ones you've prepared for us. And those are some of the memorials in my life where I go, Lord, you shifted us here. You spoke here. And then the Lord gives you grace to obey his voice. This is the good thing about the good shepherd. The good shepherd has a Holy Spirit that can get inside of you and help you obey him. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? When your emotions don't want to submit, don't want to agree, the Holy Spirit can change your emotions. He can give you a heavenly perspective. He can give you an eternal perspective. But there is a part of us being sheep that we have to know that we're sheep. Okay? Sheep are not intelligent. <laughs> Wish the Lord like called us, you know, horses or something like that. They're a little more intelligent. You know, sheep are not intelligent at all. And they have to be led to pasture to eat. They have to be led to water to drink. They have to be led or they scatter and they die. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who understand their poverty of spirit and stay close to me and ask to hear my voice. They're the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize their humility as sheep and know it and cry out to me for leadership because those are the meek of the earth and they're going to inherit the earth when I return. Jesus has a certain way. He's a good leader, and he knows the people that he's leading, and he knows we're not that intelligent. (laughs) Amen? Just a few more things. I talked about the memorials of hearing God's voice in my life, but there's a positioning that we can have daily or weekly, or or that we can have consistently, I would say, in hearing the Lord's voice actively, not in those big moments, but just in the day-to-day. I wrote down, we position ourselves for the memorial moments of hearing the shepherd's voice by daily making time for the word and prayer in our lives. I said, this is like the mortar or the concrete that is between the bricks of a brick wall. You can get a brick, but if you don't have concrete to attach it to, you're not going to build a wall. And so I think of that daily time in our life where we're positioning ourselves before the Word and in prayer and with fasting. It's like we're putting that concrete and we're preparing ourselves for those memorial moments for God to break in and speak, and we obey. And then we obey in one of those memorial moments and we get another brick. And then we go right back to our process of positioning ourselves to hear his voice in a daily way through his word and through prayer. And then he speaks again in a dramatic way and we obey and another foundation gets laid. And that's how the Lord builds his temple in us where the temple of God. And he builds a dwelling place for himself. But he also brings the body of Christ together as they're all being obedient with that. And he brings the body of Christ with unique histories of obeying the Lord, that he could be a dwelling place in our midst. Psalm 95 says this. It says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And then it says, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then he brings up a time when Israel hardened their hearts in the wilderness. And I just think this is a wonderful scripture that describes the posturing of the sheep of his flock. It starts out with, oh, come. First, we have to come to the Lord, right? And it says, worship, bow down, kneel, take time in his presence. Take time in worship. Take time in prayer, take time before the Lord, for he's your maker, and your maker is your shepherd. And then it describes us as the sheep of his pasture, and then it says, if you hear his voice, obey. Now, what I love that we're not gonna have time to get to is the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus as the good shepherd has come that we could experience life and life more abundantly. Guys, every time I hear the Lord's voice, either from the scriptures in a daily way or those moments where he's breaking in and speaking like maybe a directional thing or or I could describe the way he sent us to Brazil or the way he sent us here to this church or the, the way we were in Colorado Springs for three years. Every time I hear his voice, I'm filled with joy. I'm filled with life. Every time. I'm in his word. I'm filled with life hearing the voice of the shepherd in the word of God. He breaks in in a prophetic dream. I'm going, oh, you have my good in mind. Obeying you here is going to bring me closer to you, and I'm going to experience the life of God. Guys, I've gotten addicted to hearing the voice of the shepherd because the voice of the shepherd brings life, and he's a good shepherd that laid down his life for us. If he did that, for sheep, think of a shepherd dying for sheep, right? It's just like, that's a hard thought. We would never do that, right? He says, I'm not a hireling. When the thief comes, he said, I didn't run away. I'm the good shepherd that stands and fights. And he ultimately defeated the enemy on the cross by dying for us. But guys, he's a good shepherd, Revelation 7 says, in the midst of the throne of God. Guess where he wants to lead us now? To the throne of his father. Revelation chapter 7 describes Jesus. He says, and the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Isn't that great? It's like non oxymoron. He's both the sacrificial lamb. He's both the shepherd. He says, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And his God will wipe away every tear from our eye." Guys, if we stay listening to the voice of the shepherd, he ushers us into eternal glory. He ushers us before the throne of his father. And that's where the sheep of his pasture ultimately find pasture forever and ever and ever. That kneel and bow down before your maker, that's gonna be your reality as his flock forever. So my encouragement to you tonight is to position yourself daily to hear His voice in the word. And then when you hear God speaking about those memori- in those memorial times where, where it's either directional, shifts a season, it changes your vocation, it changes your family life, it's disruptive. I encourage you to obey, because there's a life in obedience amen amen why don't we pray and then we'll break up into our groups and we'll discuss John 10 together all right Lord I come before you tonight for all those that are here and all those that are listening for myself Lord we just acknowledge you do speak today we just say that boldly God speaks and you are still the shepherd that wants to lead us into pasture by us hearing your voice. Lord, we say open our ears to your voice. Your voice is described in Revelation 1 like a trumpet. You have the power to cut through every other sound so that we can hear you. We say, Lord, be like a trumpet in our ears. Let us hear you clearly. Your voice is like the sound of rushing waters. You can drown out any other noise. Lord, we say, be the voice of rushing water in our life and drown out the other distractions. Drown out the other voices. I pray this over the rock, that we would hear your voice and we would follow you as the good shepherd. Right now, I'd intercede For our congregation, I intercede for the people listening to this message. And I say, open our ears in Jesus' name. Enlighten the eyes of our heart in Jesus' name. We say, we want to hear you. We want to hear you. So speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak. Your servant is listening. We love you, and we worship you. Amen and amen. Awesome, guys. You were dismissed to go to your groups. Any other instruction, Jim? Awesome. Uh, Just in dismissal, I want to remind us, we have a fast coming up. Mike sent an email about it. We have a fast coming up, and we're actually starting a two-week fast starting this next Monday, okay? So pray and ask the Lord how he wants you to fast so that you can hear his voice. And we're going to have a season of fasting. It's going to culminate. Our conference is going to be in the middle of it. And we might have a few prayer meetings that we announce where we all gather together and cry out to the Lord together. Amen? All right. Be dismissed. Love you guys.